Welcome to Practical Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Ted, and today on the pod, my co-host Cody and I are joined by Jason Livermore, owner and master mixer of The Blasting Room in Fort Collins, Colorado. Jason knows a lot about music. He's been involved in it for over 30 years, uh, pretty much his whole life from the sound of things, and it's and he's also a guy that I got to know pretty well. Lifted a lot of weights together back when we were in Fort Collins, and... and uh, if you listen to the episode or you already know my relationship with Jason, you know that we like to give each other a lot of crap, but I think uh, it's one of those things where the people that you like the most, you kind of give the most shit to sometimes. So so he's a good guy, and uh, we used to always kind of have these kind of internal little lifting competitions. Um, we were about in the same weight class, about the same strength, but the only difference is that uh, he's about... 15 to to 18 years older than me and so he should be pretty proud of how freaking strong he is but just like every other episode we kick today off with uh what we call our warm-up waves and so again this is for anybody who you know may be listening to this on their way to the gym or while they're working out hopefully this can help you dial in your focus and have a great training session be by design and not by default. If you don't decide on who you are, what you want, and what you want to become, you're gonna fall into default mode and be just like everyone else, which is one of my biggest fears. Make sure to take ownership of the direction of your life. And being great doesn't require permission from anyone. Before we get the show started, we want to just plug a few things here. Um, at Practical Wellness, we are one month into the Practical Wellness Run Club, and things have been going really great. We've had a great turnout every week, and uh, I can just tell you firsthand as a guy who would rather have a barbell in his hands than running shoes on his feet that I've actually really, really enjoyed uh, the programmed workouts, the challenges, and there's just something kind of great and primal about just being outside and just running, you know, one of the most simplest forms and practices of exercise. It's, it's great to just continue to work at that and, and continue to, I don't know, just dive in. And it's been, it's been pretty therapeutic for me too. Uh, so if you have any questions about run club, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at practical Also, if you haven't rate reviewed or subscribed to the show yet, we'd love to have you do that. And uh, if you need any questions answered whatsoever, check us out at practicalwellnesscoach.com. Let's get the show started. We have our guy, Jason Livermore, Practical Wellness Radio, and we were just shooting the shit here before we started, and I was just showing these guys. They can see this because of our screen here, but I'm on the side of the road. Uh, My wife's folks have a cabin in Missouri. We're down there, and then uh, we drove to Eureka Springs. We got here like literally just five minutes ago. And I just pulled over and pulled out my laptop, set up the hotspot on my phone, and uh, we're recording. So hopefully this goes well. Hopefully it Where's the family? Technology. Weren't they with you? They were. We dropped. I dropped them off downtown. So they just went went to grab lunch and probably a coffee and play with the kids and all that stuff. As long so. as you just drop them off on the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jason, thanks for jumping on with us, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No worries. Jason said he got his nine holes in already this morning. He's got better weather in Fort Collins. I did. Yeah. 
And uh, Cody was saying this is our first ever three-state, tri-state podcast. I'm in Arkansas, Cody's in Iowa, and Jason's in, in Colorado. So Setting records. Yeah, so Jason, uh, I knew Jason at the gym that I used to own. Um, got to know him decently well. We played some golf together. We shoot the shit together. We, we talk shit to each other, all the good things. That's right. That's right. And, uh, Ted tried to hang with me on the snatch for a while, but then he surpassed me. Yeah. Because <laughs> of your teachings, right? Yeah. That's right. Because I told him what to do. Yeah, there's a lot of just do it. Just do it, man. Stop being a wuss. That's what he would tell me. That was his, <laughs> That's right. That was his helpful tips. <laughs> but, uh, and Jason owns the recording studio in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado called The Blasting Room. And, uh, and you know, this is a fitness podcast, so we, we'll talk maybe a little bit about you're a collegiate swimmer. I was, yeah. yeah. Tell us, maybe we'll just start there, just kind of break the ice there. How did you how did you get into swimming of all sports? Into swimming? Yeah. So, uh, so well, I grew up I grew up in California and everybody had a pool in their backyard, so Yeah. I swam forever. Um I played uh ice hockey and baseball and soccer and when I was a kid and I didn't really know what I wanted to do um when I went to high school, but they had a water polo team. And that sounded pretty cool. So I joined the water polo team, and our coach made us uh, swim in the off-season to keep in shape. And I did that for three years, and I really loved it. But then I ended up moving to Oregon from California, and they, uh, they didn't have a water polo team. So I just just swam and mm-hmm. kind of got better at it and got good enough to where I got a scholarship to um, go to college. So... That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, what did what were your events? Would you swim? I swam the fifty hundred and two hundred freestyle. Um, I made nationals my sophomore year, but I didn't get to go because I was a dumbass and tore my ACL skiing over winter break, which oh. my coach was not very happy about. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh man. And then, uh, yeah. So you're as a sophomore. That's pretty cool to to make nationals and be, be that yeah yeah i was i did pretty well cody uh cody spent some time was it uh, maybe cody you'll have to set it up better than i can you were a strength and conditioning coach for a swim team in iowa right yeah so there's this local it's called iFly. it's a local swim club um in the area and they had you know kind of a is a youth group so they had high school athletes and then they had you know um, more juniors, so like middle school, and I think there's even maybe some younger than that. Uh-huh. Um, all the high schoolers, though, were at least on track to get scholarships to go to like a Big Ten school or something similar, D1 school. So, yeah, I was able to, or fortunate to be able to do some of their dry land training for them. I would never do their swimming. Like, I cannot swim. So I respect anybody that can because <laughs> it's so far out of my wheelhouse. Oh, that's cool that you had a, that a team had a training. We we did dry land and weights too, but it was kind of, I don't know how structured it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, what did it look like? I'm kind of just curious, you know. Oh, back then, um, we would do a lot of running. Um, and we would do like a lot of like back strengthening, like doing Supermans, you mm-hmm. know, where you're on your stomach and stuff like that. And then we'd go to the gym the gym was kind of on your own and we only did it like once or twice a week. And I feel like I never, ever squatted or deadlifted. It was only bench press and shoulder stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we definitely did not have any nutrition back then. Our coach, he was successful, but he was like 
65, he would take us to McDonald's before meats <laughs> and stuff, you know? Yeah. And nobody thought any of the different of it. We were just trying to get calories in back then, yeah, and, you know? Yeah. And after this? it's like... Like, kind of what time frame are we talking? I graduated uh, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So, yeah, when I started doing CrossFit and got into paleo, the full nutrition and, you know zone diet and all that stuff i was like holy crap if i had done this when i was in college oh man yeah you know i think everybody would be a, yeah i think everybody's kind of had that thought like man where was this when i was 14 or 15 or 18 i or know because you're like living off of mcdonald's back oh, then and it's just like wow mm -hmm. so you're probably a taco john's guy taco john's guy potato lays <laughs> man six pack and a pound oh yeah you would dominate <laughs> yeah. those after football Woo! games in high school yeah just, There'd be like 10 guys roll into a Taco John's and we'd all get a six pack in a pound. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, oh no. Uh, so you're probably 19, 20 when you tore your ACL? He, I think I was, I think I was 19. Yeah. Yeah. And just then skiing, uh, just was it like a collision thing or? No, like uh, I'd go skiing with my dad a lot and we, I like to go off jumps. So I went off a big. I don't know, it was like a 15 or 20 foot kind of cornice where you just straight down. And I landed and just kind of felt something. I didn't crash or anything. I was like, ow, you know, yeah. skied down, got it checked out. They're like, no, nothing's broken. And I had screwed myself up so many times being a kid skateboarding or skiing or whatever. I was just like, ah, oh, this is fine. Mm -hmm. This will get better. And then it just kind of never got better. And finally, like a month, I went back to swimming and everything. And I knew something was wrong, but it wasn't like super wrong. And then about a month later, I was at a party and I got super hammered. <laughs> I jumped up on a table and it went, and I was like, "Oh, that yeah. finished it. It's yeah. over." Oh, now man. it's yeah. gone. Yeah, gone. there we go. Yeah. yeah, what a time to to figure it out. You oh yeah, out. you had you've had. <laughs> That's crazy how it can kind of just linger and just you know oh like you know this kind of like nagging thing, and then all of a sudden like you you do something else and you know jumping and landing right and then all of a sudden it just goes goes. Then it's gone, yeah. It must have been half gone. I don't know. Yeah. You've had some knee stuff, right? Like, your, your knees have been put through the, the woodshed, it sounds like. Well, right? I mean, still... just, just that right knee that I had the ACL surgery on is the bad one. But, I mean, both my knees are, I don't know, maybe just getting old. They yeah. just they just feel old. You know? don't you, do you still don't you have screws in your knees? I got a screw in my right knee, okay. yeah, the one that I had surgery on. Okay. That's crazy. That's gnarly. Um, <laughs> yeah. What uh, was that? Just wear and tear. What did you need surgery on for that knee? The, oh, that was the ACL oh, okay. surgery. I thought yeah, it was a separate issue. But the, gotcha. No, no, it's just the one. But the left doesn't feel that much better gotcha. for whatever reason. <laughs> and then, so uh, tell me, uh, so you, you swam, and then tell me what what did post college life look like? And and eventually we're going to get to it, right? And you, you own the recording studio, as we said, in, in Fort Collins. Yeah. How did you make that segue? How did you I mean, just from conversations you and I had, but Cody might not know, anybody listening might not know, like, where did you get into music and recording, and how did that all start? Um, I started playing the drums and the bass when I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade, and started some bands with, like, neighborhood kids, like, in early high school. So I've been into it since then, and then in college... I got, it wasn't a serious band, but we were like more of a band and mm -hmm. we went to a recording studio and when we went to the recording studio and I was kind of like, Whoa, what is this place? This is awesome. You know? And my buddy was like, Oh, I have a four track. 
I'm like, what's a four track? He goes, oh, it's like a little home studio version of what we just did. And I was like, oh, cool. So he gave it to me. And I'm in college then, and I bought a book about how to record. And so I would record the, the band that I was in then. And um, I never thought of it as a career path or anything. But after college, I was selling beer for Miller Brands. It was a decent job, but everybody there was about 40, you know, mm. when I was 22. And I was like, I don't think so. I, don't, I, can't, I can't end up here. Yeah, yeah. So um, a guy that I was working with who was managing our band, he um, – also managed a band called All and the Descendants, and they got a big recording deal, and they were going to build a recording studio in Colorado. And he's like, "I'm going to move out there. You should move out there with me." And I was like, "Cool, that sounds great." You know, oh, I so I quit that. my job and moved out, and just basically, kind of just wung it. Just learned yeah. um, through you know ten thousand hours of trial and error, basically. So that's how I kind of got into the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I ever knew that. That's what brought you out to Colorado. That's cool. Yeah, it what it was the studio. Yeah, I just want I didn't I didn't want to be like a guy who wore a suit and tie. Yeah. Uh essentially, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like I'm going to do this now. <laughs> and it's it happened to work out. What kind of music were you playing when, you know, you were in high school or even younger and then even into college? Did it change? Did it fluctuate? Did that taste It changed. Adjust? Yeah, yeah. So in, in high school, I was in a punk rock band. Um, and then in college, it was more like we would do covers of like popular bands at the time. And the stuff that we did was kind of like one one of our members used to be in this weird metal funk hybrid band called Mr. Bungle. Uh and the singer of that band went on to sing from Faith No More. So yeah. we were kind of like trying to emulate that band style, this weird funk, metal, ska hybrid thing. And then after I moved here, I got kind of back into a rock, punk rock band that I played in for probably five years after that. Yeah. When you were playing mostly drums? Bass? Yeah, I play drums. That's my main instrument. Okay. When you guys were, you know, you said you tried to emulate some bands and you also did some covers maybe in college. What were uh, what were some bands that you enjoyed covering? And I know that maybe like covers kind of get this weird stigma sometimes, right? But like what, yeah. what was, yeah. No, uh, we like to cover like the Pixies. Yeah. We covered the Rolling Stones, um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers we covered, the Beastie Boys we covered. Gnarly. Uh, you know, just, yeah, it was just kind of like a wide variety. Um you know, playing playing to college crowds. You know, would the covers change based off of like the potential crowd that you're playing to? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like the Rolling Stones and stuff. We do when you played a bar and you had no idea who was gonna like what. And people then, pleasers, yeah, Rolling yeah, Stones, yeah, yeah, people pleasers, yeah. And we started writing our own songs and throwing those in there till we had enough to actually be a band band, mm-hmm. and then kind of quit playing covers and just started playing our own music tell us uh so i don't you know and this is not what you're doing today but like back when you're in a band cody and i i'm cody's i think cody can play a couple instruments i'm not musically <laughs> gifted at all uh when you guys were writing your own songs like what what was, do you remember what that was like was that fun at that time or was that kind of stressful i mean i'm sure you're probably no, excited no. and yeah no, it's to- it's totally fun. Um, it only becomes stressful when you're trying to rely on it for your living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's what I tell all bands. I'm like, just play music for fun. Don't try to become popular. Don't try to make money. Like, it's going to ruin it, and you're going to want to quit. 
like you know what i mean and, and the music's going to be better for it if you're just actually enjoying yourself yeah. people can people can hear that that you can turn the radio on and go oh somebody in nashville wrote this song for Absolutely. that guy this you know mm-hmm. like they all sound the same yeah, you for can sure. tell it but, is but yeah writing the song back to your question it's fun you just you know you get in a room and jam oh that part's cool let's play that you know and then oh i've got this other part oh let's put them together oh that works oh no that doesn't work it's just you know yeah, like you get better as you go on, but <laughs> yeah. So I took a lot of uh, journalism classes, and when it comes to like being wordsmith, I kind of can wrap my head around that, like how to put words together, how to maybe put lyrics even together. The idea to like idea take, an to, like, take an instrument and take another instrument and put it all together just sounds it just blows my mind. Just blows my mind. <laughs> so, uh, my headphones cut out on me for half a second. I got the I got the last part of what you yeah, just said. Yeah, yeah. And then, so how, uh, what was it first like when you, so you moved to Fort Collins and you're recording, you know, what was, what was life like then? You're, you're recording at the recording studio. Was it called the blasting room at the time? Yeah, it was always called the blasting room. Um, when I first, when we first started it, it was basically just so the band who started it back then all had a spot to make their own records. So it, mm. there was no, um, it wasn't professional at all. But immediately after opening, we did have a lot of bands that wanted to come. And so we kind of grew like that. But we weren't there 24-7 because half the year we'd be touring. I I was a monitor engineer for their live show. Um, So I would be gone with the band for the first couple of years. And when we'd come back, we would make records. But eventually, I started getting better at making records. And Bill, who was the owner, was like, why don't you stay home and not do this tour and record this band? And we'll go out on tour. So I kind of started staying home instead of going on the road. And that's kind of when I started learning more, doing stuff on my own and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. What's a monitor engineer do? So when you're playing live, the band needs to hear themselves, right? So back when I started, you would have speakers on the floor. And that's like you what you'd hear the other members of the band. Like if you were the drummer, you couldn't hear the singer unless they put his voice through the speaker on the floor. And there's a guy who does kind of the same thing that like the crowd has to hear what's going on and he's in control. There's a guy on the side of the stage who does that for the musicians. Oh, I see. So like you could be the drummer and look at the guy on the side and go, I need more vocal. I can't yeah. hear the vocal. I need less bass. He's too loud or whatever, you know, cause it's not like in the practice room where you may be in a little circle and you've set everything up perfectly to hear each other live. It's a different thing. But now when you see people play, like they'll all have in ears. Mm-hmm. So, that's the same thing. They're listening to the other members of the band through their headphones and they're, but generally there's somebody who controls those headphones. Oh, that's, I see. that's the monitor engineer. Yeah. I've never, so I've, yeah, I've, I've fiddled around, you know, I played drums in high school. I was on like the drum line and did all that stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, dabbled in guitar. I have my old guitar right over here. I haven't touched for a while. Um, you know, but I've never obviously been in that particular, you know, uh, position to play on stage and to understand that, but you know, you, we always probably see like the you know you see it all, and, yeah, yeah. You see, newest, you but. see it, but like unless you don't, unless you know what they're doing, you're like, what's you know, yeah, you just part of the don't think about it. It was always towards yeah. the person that we're hearing, you know, in terms of the crowd. So I didn't know there's another person in the back for ge- yeah. Generally, there's like at bigger shows, the guy there's a guy on the side, so the guy who's in the front 
doesn't have to worry about doing two jobs. Sure. But if it's like a little show at like a little club, you may end up doing both. I'm sure that's tough too. Yeah, it makes it trickier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How many, how many? Like, I don't know how to ask this question. How many like bands come through the studio like in a given year, or like what's the frequency of that? Because I'm sure it takes a while to you know cut a record. Yeah, um, I would say prior to the last five years, uh, before the the music industry sort of changed to how it is now i was doing about eight records a year maybe and they would average about 21 days and we had a little system where we would divvy the workout amongst the people that were here to do certain jobs to get it done in that amount of time recording sort of the recording hasn't changed per se but the way it goes about has changed because of the uh, the recording industry doesn't have nearly as much money as it used to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people end up doing stuff themselves at home and they may send it to, to me when they're finished. And so I may not record any of it, or I'm, I may record just like something that's difficult for someone to record at home, like a drum set. I might re- do just record the drums and then they'll go home and do the vocals and guitars okay. and bring it back. So, Records are probably, well, it's hard to say. I don't think they're getting shorter in time, but they're just getting recorded in different locations um, over a longer... Is it faster for that? Oh, not necessarily, because maybe the quality is going to go down when you don't have, like, a pro involved. Takes more work post. Over the whole thing. Like, you know, like, let's say I did the whole record myself. When I went to go mix it, I'd be like... It's it sounds great already. I don't have to do much, mm-hmm. and it, so the mixing might not take as long. But if I if you did your vocals and your guitar at home, I I might get in and go. Oh God, this sounds horrible. <laughs> I have to fix all this, and it may take me days to figure out how to take what you've given me and make it presentable. In some I could like fixing the vocal, the tuning. Is there like ever like, a moment where you send it back? You're like, I can't do anything with this, or is it always um, like workable? Generally, everything's workable. It just depends on how hard you want to try. You know, it's better to send it back uh, if it's really, really bad. But there's so many tools now, um, with the exception of something like a really poorly, per- like uh, like like a guitar that's really far out of tune or something. You can't really fix that. I would guess the but, assumption would be that most of the time, since these are bands that you're working with, like they have their own equipment. It's usually pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to record someone so bad, at least in my position, where I'm like, ah, this is horrible, you Mm -hmm. know, because I get a lot of, you know, bigger bands who can actually play. Solid bands. So I'm not not in that position as much as just like Joe Schmo who's recording like high school bands or whatever. Why are they recording more at home? Is it financially better for them? They don't have to record. It's the money. Yeah. Yeah, it's, It's the money. Like, there's, there used to be. I mean, we could get paid upper end of like a quarter million dollars to make an album. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's not, that wasn't always the case, but now it's like that same band, their label may gave them 20 grand, yeah, you know, where they got like quarter of a million before. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like, we can't afford it. We don't have the money. And that's why you see a lot of bands doing Kickstarters yeah. like on their own, like, hey, we're going to make an album. Please help us pay for it. You yeah, know? exactly. It's Has- has that financially like kind of hit your business a little bit in the f- last five years? You don't have to go into all the details, right? Yeah, but I'm sure it has. A li- uh, I, mean. I mean, it's it's actually 
it hasn't hit it um, as much as I would have expected because I end up, my business has sort of changed from like, so I do less recording, mm-hmm. but I do more mixing, which is the process at the end because they can't, most people can't finish it. So I get more like of like the finishing job than I used to. Yeah. So I'm just sort of changing hats, if you will. Mm-hmm. Is this like, is this from, what's the reason for this in the last five years? Is it just the streaming age? Is that streaming. Kind of the big thing? Yeah. Yeah. Streaming, like there's way, way less physical medium. So hey Jason, like nobody lean in a little bit more to your mic? We can't quite hear it. Yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. No problem. Um, so the streaming aspect of it has, um, so nobody buys CDs. You yeah. know, I, I, I myself used to go to like, let's say Best Buy or something and buy 10 CDs a month, just as a matter of principle to support yeah. the industry, you know? And then one day I walked in and there was one row of CDs at Best Buy and I'm like, ah, I guess I'm not buying CDs anymore, you know? Yeah. And so now I signed up for Apple Music and that's what I do. You know, I just listen to whatever I can. It, it's, it's amazing for the listener. It's amazing for for music in general. Yeah. The consumer. It's amazing for that, but it's not amazing for the artist. Right. Um, you know, so they have to make all their money from, from touring, whereas mm-hmm. they would make a lot of money from record sales in the past. And that's the, really the big thing. And so the record labels aren't as as willing to put the money in to make the record as they used to be. Do you feel like vinyl's hitting a new step? Vinyl's mm-hmm. definitely hitting a new step. Vin- Everybody's doing vinyl now where they weren't doing it 10 years ago. And that's part of the thing. Like Nobody's buying CDs, but it's super cool to have a big vinyl in your hand yeah. and look at the pictures and read the words yeah. and all that and I find figure out what's going on. Too. Yeah, vinyl's cool. You know, I mean, it sounds different than a CD a little bit, so you have that. And it's more of like, let's call it an experience where you have to sit down and sort of dedicate yourself to listening. So it's not so ADD, like, ah, oh, skip that song, skip yeah. that song. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's active listening right it's active listening so that's super cool but yeah people like to sell vinyl because it's like a tangible thing that you can hold yeah yeah i always find that kind of interesting or how like even things kind of circle back a little bit too do you think and this is maybe a silly question but do you think cds will kind of do the same thing like vinyls did you know it's it's hard to say i people are starting to print cassettes again which sounds super oh i'm not kidding like so I can't I can't rule out CDs. I mean CDs are a great medium. They sound great. They're mm. portable. Like it's not I don't know. It's not streaming, but yeah. who knows? It's what's tough to happen. be. I mean <laughs> you're right. It is great for the consumer. It's tough to be able to like beat having it on my phone, plug it into my truck, and just listen. Exactly. To it, you, know? you know I used to be like, what ten albums do I want to put on my iPod yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Now it's like I don't have to choose anything. No. Hey Siri, well, exactly. my phone's gonna pick up right now. <laughs> you, had, like, the, you had the like. Um, you buy like a, a newer car, you know, in the 2000s and it had like the five disc changer. Oh yeah. Which one do I want? And then, you, you know, you'd select, I remember that. Like, uh, and especially if it was in the trunk, oh, right? Yeah. It was in the trunk. Then you really had to get dedicated. <laughs> yeah. I, I had that setup, man. I had a 92 S 10 blazer, two door, you know, I, of course, you know, two 12 inch subwoofers in the back with 10 CD changer. And I had like built myself slots so I could like keep all the CDs that weren't in the CD changer. Wait, was that just like OJ's or was it different? No, was it white? He, he had a Bronco, no. man. I had oh, he had a Bronco. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, pretty similar. Pretty similar. <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, uh, no getaway chases in the S10. Yeah, blazer, yeah. But, 
but you know that was me and i was 17 at the time and i was like i'm gonna deck this sucker out and it's gonna be so loud and obnoxious <laughs> to everybody that i drive so up we... next to <laughs> oh yeah do you find yourself um when you listen to music are you like do you notice things that you would have done different and and I remember you, I think your title, you're a master mixer, right? Is that your title? Yeah, I do. I do a lot of different stuff, but I'm mostly master. Sounds like a now. Jedi, Jedi thing, but yeah. <laughs> it uh, is. It is. It is. Usually you got to be an old guy like me to do mastering. <laughs> but do you find like, if you're just listening to music, you're like, ah, oh, man, I would have done that a little different. Like, do you notice those things or do you, or do you appreciate definitely... what other people do? And Both. Yeah. Both. You know, like for, so... If the song is really good, I kind of don't care how it sounds, which is weird, right? Mm. But if the song's that good, you just forget about the way it sounds, unless it's so bad that you're like, oh my God. But, you know, there's a lot of cool songs that don't sound very good. But then on the converse, if the song's not great, it has to sound really good to draw you in, you know? Mm. Because I listen to stuff sometimes just for work where I'm like, I hate this song, but it sounds so good. How did this guy do this? Like, oh, so you're what, studying you know, uh, I could be studying. Yeah. And then also like, you know, you're saying like some bands, you're like, why did they record that snare drum? That is the worst sounding snare drum. You know, like let's take Metallica, Saint Anger, or, you know, a lot of red hot chili peppers. I hate the snare drum sound. I like the band. I don't like Anthony's voice too much sometimes, but you know, so there's things about it that I'm like, some of it's great. Some of it I hate. I would have changed, you know? Just... Yeah, that's cool. And I, I actually, you kind of started there, but that was my next question is, can you give us an example of maybe like a song that, you know, 90% of the people would maybe know and maybe it, it's a, it's a good song and it kind of ended up working because it was a good song, but you didn't appreciate, kind of like you were saying with St. Anger and Metallica. Like, is there another situation or another song that you can just think of that leads that, whatever it is? Well, so I work with a band called the Flowbots, mm-hmm. um, and they had a hit song called Handlebars. Yeah. Right? It sold over a million copies. They yeah. recorded that song in a tough shed. L- literally, a tough shed. Really? Like, they did it themselves with another guy, not a recording studio, and the song does not sound that good, but it sold a million copies. It was unique. Yeah. yeah. It's a unique song. It's uh, Basically, it's a lot of times, like... People will get used to a certain sound. The radio is totally homogenized. Everything sounds the same. Somebody comes on and you're like, whoa, what's this? This sounds different. Mm-hmm. You know, it could sound different bad, but maybe that's why, you know, it got your attention. So it's it's hard to say. Like, Yeah. No, that is true. Whether whether it's good or bad, you're like, that's weird. That's different. That's weird. You turn, we- you turn that's it up. Weird. You want to check it out. Yeah. You want to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. And then, so so how long have you uh so how long have you been been recording i mean that's a simple question right you're an old guy i always give you shit for being older than me but but anyway you can (laughs) yes you do yeah no and that was that wasn't the the mean way of me asking how old you are but just tell everybody how long you've been doing this so i i moved here to fort collins in 94 and i so i started like let's say professionally in 94 um I had recorded for maybe two years sort of home style mm. before that. So what is that? 30 years? 30 years maybe? Cool. That's awesome. That's cool. There's not many people that do <laughs> anything for 30 years, let alone can make a no, career out of you know mixing and recording 
pants. It's cool. Yeah, I'm to- I'm totally fortunate that I'm still doing this, you know, and getting paid enough to live <laughs> getting off. Getting paid is always important <laughs> like, too. Getting paid comfortably, yeah. Yeah, well, that's great, man. I uh, let's uh, let's switch gears up a little bit. So, Jason Livermore is one of the few guys, uh, maybe like the eight guys, eight people that I know in my life who've been doing CrossFit longer than I have, <laughs> and uh, so so tell us how you got. You know, what did, what did fitness look like when you, you know, weren't collegiate, a collegiate swimmer anymore? How did you get into right. maybe CrossFit? What did your fitness look like before CrossFit? What's that story? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, after college, I still, I got into kind of running and yep. just, you know, bench press, you know, the shit that people do who, who are not into CrossFit. Like I did that probably until I was like 30 ish. And that's when my recording career started to really take off. And I just was working like 80 hours a week and I did not do any sort of exercising at all for probably eight years. And I gained a lot of weight and got really out of shape. And at a certain point, my dad, he took me out to lunch one day and he goes, look, dude, you got to get your shit together. <laughs> like, you know, cause he's always, he was a college athlete. He was a college football player and track oh, cool. and discus and he did I, Olympic weightlifting. That's right. And he's never remember. been fat his whole life. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, no, this isn't going to fly. And I was like, Oh God, my dad's <laughs> calling me out. I yeah. got to figure it out. So, so I was basically like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. So I joined 24 hour fitness. I think this is in like 2008. And I lost like 40 pounds the first three months. And wow. um, then I had like a shitload of energy. You know, I went from 210 to 160 or something. Yeah. I was like good to go. And um, it was getting a little bit boring for me going just doing the Stairmaster bench press and whatnot. So I had found that um, Spartan workout, the 300 Spartan workout, because that movie had just come out. And um, – so I had to go, oh, cool. It was in men's, it was in men's fitness, I think. Mm-hmm. So I tried to do it. I did it like 10 times. And um, I didn't know what intensity was, so I wasn't going fast. You're just doing it, I think it, yeah. the best, yeah, the best, the best time I got maybe was like 32 minutes or something. I think I started at like 50 minutes. and But then I started getting better at that. And I went to a, uh, it was like a health and wellness fair in Fort Collins. And they had, Chris Brown, the the original owner, he um, he had a booth there, and a couple of the coaches they had a rowing machine and they had kettlebells, and I was like, oh, I've been doing kettlebells, oh that's cool. What are you guys doing? You know, and kind of went over and talked to him, and so that's when I started. I started in I think se- September of two thousand and nine, yeah, um, and just you know f- loved it because it was like I'm competitive I was you know competitive swimmer I was just like oh this is it I'm gonna beat all these people kind of thing you know yeah. and uh, then I went and redid the Spartan workout two or three months after I had joined and I got it down to 14 minutes so wow like, yes oh, wow. that's cool <laughs> yeah. difference yeah, yeah. from 15 yeah. minutes to 14 yeah because because you you learn what intensity yeah. is you know it was like you adapt oh plus back to Plus, back then, I wasn't doing kipping pull-ups because it starts and ends with 25 pull-ups oh, and yeah. sandwiched in the middle of a bunch of stuff. So it's not easy to do 25 strict pull-ups. No, in a row. not at all. <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't think I ever heard the story of you being chubby before CrossFit. Cause I, so that, that was interesting to me. No, I was, 
I was definitely I was definitely chubby. I'm I'm probably the same weight now, but I'm like a hell of a lot stronger yeah, than yeah. I was and then. So, you know, like yeah. And so I, you know, the story that I knew is Jason Livermore started CrossFit, really loved it, pretty competitive, did pretty well at it, and then you got to a point where you were frustrated that you weren't stronger, right? And so so then you right. you got into Olympic yeah. weightlifting, you got into a strength cycle, and I'll let you tell the story, but. Yeah. So, what did that yeah, look like? So, How uh, far were you so into maybe CrossFit before, before you started like this this dabble into Olympic weightlifting? Yeah. So I th- I think it was probably a year and a half. I started if there was a, a lift, you know, like let's say uh, is this it called DT or JT? The yeah. the one that's got the 155 pound DT. Yeah. Right. DT. Yeah. If I had that, that would ruin my life, you know. But if it was just like Cindy, I could do 22 rounds of Cindy. So. I was like, I, I need to quit doing this, all this other stuff. I need to go strong. Mm-hmm. So I did a couple of these Wendler cycles with just less Metcons and got a lot stronger. And then we, I don't exactly remember who it was. It might have been Jeff yeah. who was like, we should start Olymp- Olympic weightlifting. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. So he started a little like you know barbell club and there was a handful of us, eight people maybe. And so we would do mostly Olympic stuff, but we were still doing Metcons. And we did that for maybe a year like that. And finally Jeff was like, you know what? Metcons are stupid. <laughs> like if you want, if, if you really want to get strong, like we're not doing Metcons anymore. I'm like, let's go for it. I don't care. You know? So I think when I started, I could snatch like 125 maybe. And then my best snatch when I ended was 242. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and awesome. I think my, Best clean and jerk when I started was maybe 185, and I ended up with like 292. I, I jerked and and cleaned 300, but never put them together. I know I was there for a lot of those uh, those, those frus- frustrations to put it like yeah, yeah. the frustrations be like you clean 300, do it, <laughs> yeah. you know and yeah yeah you and I were yeah we were kind of right we there. were clo- we oh, were so close at a point like yeah yeah your mic's kind of fading in and out again, Jason. I don't necessarily know. If it's oh, a bad yeah, connection sorry, or what, Yeah, you, you cut out. Can you hear me fine? In my back? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay, yeah. But yeah, so so Jason and I, we were we were kind of always neck and neck, and we were lifting a lot of the same weights. Um, both felt like we were decently strong. The difference was I was I was 30 and you were 45. <laughs> <laughs> so you should feel good about that, right? Well, you were doing a lot more Metcons, though, so you were probably sore as hell all the time. Yeah, yeah, I... Yeah, but uh, we were both right there. Like, we do a heavy, heavy day, and Jason would try to, you know, he'd hit the clean but miss the jerk on three hundred. <laughs> I couldn't clean it, but then we'd go over the jerk blocks, and I could jerk it. And then two weeks later, yeah. Jason would jerk three hundred pounds, and we're like, Yeah, we're both like, damn, we're so bleeping close. And <laughs> yeah, like, so it, close. It's just off in the horizon, and we couldn't get to it. And that's you got it though. What'd you get? Like three oh five. Yep, I did. Did you go heavier than that? I don't, yeah, 305 is the most I've ever done, and I don't think I've ever done. But you did that a few times, though. I think you've done 305 or at least 302 a couple times. Yeah, there was a weird mix-up there one time where I had one of the kilo plates on one side and a 20. So I had a 22 You thought pound. you had 305, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I had, um, for those that might not know, you know, we had some kilo plates. Olympic weightlifting, you know, competitions are done in kilos. So we had some kilo plates and then some some pound plates, and I had a the 22 the the 10 kilo and the 25 pound look look almost identical but one's 22 yeah. pounds and one's 25 pounds so i had one yeah. on one side and i don't know how they got mixed in 
But I was like, finally, 305. Hell yeah. And I went and I, we had a PR board. I went and wrote it on the board. 305. So stoked, you know. And then I'm like taking my weights and putting them away. And I set the 25 on top of the 25s where they go. And, and I'm like, I look down and it says 10 kilos, 22 pounds. I was like, mother. <laughs> and, so, and so I go, oh, you know, you have to hurts. go over to the board and you have to erase the five. 302. 302. Yeah. Still cool. Still proud of it. But yeah. Yeah. Is like taking, you know, it's taking is like having to give money back that you want. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, right. Good times. But but yeah. Uh, and do then, you uh, ever, did you ever hit a meet? I did uh I did maybe like ten meets, I think. Oh ten, I wow. Would, I, I would go to like two two a year and I did it for about five years. That's impressive. That's a yeah, lot. I was there was a, a Masters Nationals that I always would tell myself I should go to Masters Nationals because if I got my best lift, um, I probably would have placed second place in Masters Nationals. But it was always in like some weird spot, um, oh. and it's like a week long, and I would have yeah. to take work off. And I was like, ah, I don't know, do I do I care that much? I mean, I wanted to, but you know, I never That's did. Tough. Yeah, it's tough. I never went to Nash- Masters Nationals. Pan Ams are going on right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Maddie set an Olympic record. Yeah, I saw that. Or not Olympic record, Pan, American uh, record. American, American Pan, 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 Pan Am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Two pounds more than I could ever snatch. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah. She yeah. she went up in a weight class this year. Yeah. What yeah. is it, 85s or 84s 80, they are? Yeah. I can't remember exactly. Or maybe 80 something. It's 80 something. Is it 81s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when we're recording this, yeah, the Pan Am's American weightlifting, or I guess, yeah, Pan Am's are going on right now, Olympic weightlifting. And uh, yeah, CJ Cummings set a huge record too, right? Give it a sec. Give yeah. it a sec. <laughs> It's that side of the road. (laughs) Oh, I must be fading out. Connection. It's the hot spot. Hot spot. I see him. Anyway, is this better? (laughs) Technical difficulties. This is what happens, I guess. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, really? What did CJ get? Yeah, I'll have to look it up here again. I I was going to look it up, and then I think that's what froze me, so we'll have to check it out maybe after we get off. Don't touch your phone. Yeah, I can't touch my phone. Uh, But yeah. If you need anything looked up, I'll do it. (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah you can check it out we need to talk why does he keep doing this little push press push jerk can he not split jerk i mean i know he's been doing that for a couple of years and and for people that don't know they're probably not that interested in this but he's the strongest freaking pound for pound person who's oh maybe God. ever walked to the earth right right like he, i just and he doesn't he doesn't squat jerk he no. just like looks like he does a push press yeah so he you know he squat so he missed his final jerk squat, yeah he missed his final jerk squat cleaned it it was he had to work for the squat and yeah and then uh he did try to ride it down into a squat jerk but it then he missed oh did it. he really yeah so he, oh, but, wow. he but he but you're right the first two cleaning jerks he just kind of push pressed and it, it's i don't know i'm kind of it's I'm not around Olympic weightlifting as much, so I'm not the diehard fan that I used to be. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not either. When yeah. You, yeah, when we were in the gym and we're, you know, shooting the shit and talking about it, you, you follow it a little bit closer. But yeah, but uh, yeah. So then, you know, you were doing exclusively Olympic weightlifting for about five years. It sounded like. Yep. Yep. And uh, you know, I was at the gym too at this time, and and uh, you would come in, you you'd do your little weightlifting stuff around 9 a.m., and we had a, a kind of a, you know, we'd move move the old guy, Jason Livermore, into the corner and make him lift his weights, <laughs> yeah. and we'd have a class going on <laughs> yeah. on the side. And and then there started to be, like, a group of guys kind of your age, and, and I think, like, you are maybe like, I'm just tired of banging my head into a barbell. Tell us about that story, right? Like, you, you eventually kind of came back and, and did more Metcons, and I don't know if you ever really <laughs> loved it that much. 
but no, I still don't like, so I'm still working out at the gym, but not as much as I used to. And yeah. if there's a strength day, like Dave's going to win. Cause Dave's superhuman, yeah, but yeah, a strong guy at the gym. I'll yeah. get, I'll get, I'll get second place. Yeah. You're right. You know, or, or first, if Dave doesn't show up, <laughs> but, but when it comes to the Metcon, I am dead last, dead last. <laughs> it's like, People are going, what's going on, dude? You're not trying. I'm like, no, man, I am 50 years old and I just, I can't breathe, you know? Like, so I don't, the Metcons are just not, they're not terribly enjoyable for me. Partially because I used to be good at them and I'm not good anymore. So it's the, the drive is gone a little bit, but I think I switched over when I had a crew, you know, I would, I would lift with you and Pat and Coleman Mm. and, there was other guys that I lifted with in the past who were actually going to meets with me and stuff, and I just kind of outlasted them all. And then it was just me by myself. And I don't, if you've ever been an Olympic weightlifter, it is not easy to do by yourself. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to put in the mental and physical effort to do this. And so if you're doing it day in day out, you feel like you got hit by a truck. Your you know your back hurts, your knees hurt. You're just you feel like you need to take a nap every afternoon. I was just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I did what I could, you know, like, and nobody's there to do it with me. Maybe I should go join. I want to be part of the other guy. I want to talk yeah. to some people, you know, you're like, across yeah. the room and everyone else like laughing and sweating <laughs> together. And you're just on your platform by yourself. Like, oh man, that looks so fun. It was, I remember the conversation. I remember like, maybe it was like your third day of like, just kind of giving up on Olympic weightlifting and, and back to doing like the group fitness class. And you were like, yeah, man. I was weightlifting, and one day I looked around, and I was the only one in there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it was like it's everybody true. else left, and everybody it's else tough. came up on it. It is a tough sport. Yeah. It's one of those you definitely have to just kind of dig your heels in and lean into the hailstorm and just kind of – it's funny. You know, it's like, you know, they, they're always like, oh, be an athlete, they say. Be strong, they say. Lift heavy. <laughs> and and then you're like, yeah, but it's still hard work. You know, it's still hard freaking work, and it wears, it wears on it's, you unless – you know, it's definitely not, uh, I mean, it is a, it is kind of a young man's game, but you, you it, stuck oh, it yeah. out. You did. I mean, no, you I really... stuck it out. It, if you, if you see gains, if you're still seeing gains, that's what keeps you going. Oh, yeah. You know, mm. like they're like, I have more in me. I can do better. But once you hit a plateau, you really have to work something out. Your diet or your, like your supplements or your mental, like all of it, mm. you know, and you get to a spot and you just got to go, is this worth it? You know? Yeah. yeah and I'll, is it, I'll tell is a it quick it story to more to get like that extra pound or kilo. Oh yeah. Cause at a certain point we all kind of hit that ceiling, you know, based off of our genetics or our age or our time yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I remember too. So I, maybe like one of the first, so I, I do you remember the, the squat program that I put you on? Right. So I put you oh, on that yeah. high volume squat program and, and it was, it was a lot of squatting. But but everything else was just kind of like technique work for the Olympic lifts. We did some pulls. Right. Um, we did some like sled work. I think it was during the summer, so we got outside. And but uh, so Cody, I I put Jason on. We we do like um, it's probably twelve weeks long. And again, if somebody's listening to this and they're not, it into was fitness, squat every day. Squat every day. Yeah. Right? No, we didn't squat every day. So we did. Um, didn't we squat every day? We did that also. Uh, that was a separate program, I think. But <laughs> so uh, many programs. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so the, the fitness nerds that like programming and whatever, they'll, they'll maybe find this interesting. If you don't, nobody else probably finds this interesting, but Cody, so every Monday, Jason, and it started with a 10 rep max, Jason would build to a 10 rep max. 
And then he had some, you know, that was the main focus of the program. Um, and we did three weeks of 10 rep maxes. But the Friday following the Monday, you would do a three by 10 at 90% of that 10 rep max. Ugh. Right. And so and we did Brutal. that for three weeks and then we did deload and then we do three weeks of an eight rep max and then three by eight of that eight rep max on Friday. Right. And then we did deload and then we did five and then we did a three and then we did a one. And so we have, you know, you're probably 48 at the time, eight, 47, eight, 48, maybe yeah. yeah, something like that. And, uh, Jason, at the end of the program, on his back, he had 450, 460, 450 pounds, squatted it down, and couldn't quite stand it up. But, I mean, you know, 47-year-old who's been into fitness his entire life, pretty much, getting ready to PR, right? And that's fun. And that that, that That's cool. Oh, yeah, big time. I never, like... Powerful. Yeah. I didn't squat when I was a kid. I, I... I wasn't on the football team, so it wasn't like part of my yeah. thing, you know. Swimmers want skinny legs. They, uh, <laughs> maybe they don't anymore. I don't, I don't know, know yeah, but don't they know didn't. Either. They didn't back then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's powerful. I think you know, putting as much weight as you've ever put on your back at forty-five, that's impressive. I think, and I don't know whoever's whoever's listening to this. I think that can be a nice. Uh, maybe motivator of like, hey, like it doesn't stop. Like you're not past your. I mean, maybe you're technically like physiologically past your prime, but you know, that's yeah. no reason to not, I don't, I don't think, hit it uh, hard, I don't right? know. Yeah. I don't know what the act, like the number is when you can't like, you know, gain muscle as much muscle. I feel like if you have a base for me, strength is way easier to maintain and yeah. be heavy at, at, at an older age mm. than like the, than the Metcons, like mm. than the breathing stuff. Like I remember when I was a kid, my dad would always tell me, every year past forty, you're gonna lose like you know point seven five percent of your oxygen capacity. Like you know, because he was an engineer, so he was like all about the numbers. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like yeah, whatever, dad. You know, like <laughs> and it shit you not. It's not like when I, when I hit forty five, it was kind of like this is getting hard. The weightlifting didn't it didn't get hard. Like I feel like you could probably be strong into your sixties. You yeah. know. Yes, well, but, especially if you already had that adaptation. And I think yeah. if, what I know, I don't know but much breathing, about breathing. The breathing's different, yeah. Cardiorespiratory, like, adaptation and how that, that lasts. I know, like, at about 25, at least for males, you start to lose your peak power um, in right. terms of, like, that ceiling. It doesn't mean you can't get better, right? I think that's the asterisk here. And then strength adaptations and your um, ability to produce, like, overall force or absolute force um, stays quite high. Yeah, like into your 30s, and I think it, it seems like it. Your 40s, but again, like, yeah, doesn't mean you can't get better, right? It just means yeah, because even still, like when I go to the gym, I don't like squat like a maniac anymore at all. It's like you know, once a month, if that. And when I do, I'm still like, oh wow, I did five at 350. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I, I'm just... still strong, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and that's the thing is like you're still strong, and that's I think that's that's important to recognize too is like. You know, do you have to throw 400 pounds on your back every day to keep that? Probably not. I don't think so. No, no I don't no. think so. Like I would say, I'd almost say almost 100% of people would agree that if you're squatting, you know, 350, you're just a strong dude. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're fine. You're yeah. good. What am yeah. I going to do in life that exactly. needs that? That needs you know, more like, than that. Yeah. I always say, take it out of the oven. It's cooked. You're done. You're good. Yeah. You don't need it's to fine. get, you know, it's like. Fine. The casserole is cooked. You don't need to get any stronger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At a, at a certain point, you're just like wasting time. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's cool, man. Um, before we kind of wrap things up here, 
we want to talk quick about uh, we always close out the show with some closeout questions. We got eight closeout questions for you today, Jason. We'll hit those in just a second. But um, before we've the blasting room in Fort Collins has a documentary coming out at at some point. I, I understand, right? They've at, been working at some point. Yeah, it's at some point it's going to come out, and I don't know the date that it's going to be completed. It was supposed to be, you know. It started pre-COVID, yeah. so we thought it was going to be done, and basically, you know, COVID happened, and the world went to shit, and yeah. and here we are still waiting on it, but it's like, I think it's, I hope it's not more than six months from now. Yeah, who knows? I'm not sure, yeah. though. I'm not what, sure. Uh, what inspired that? Did somebody reach out to you guys? Where, where did that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. So, there's a guy um, in Fort Collins who's been coming to the studio for the last 20 years and filming bands that come in and he filmed a lot of stuff for rise against when they would come in. So he has had tons and tons and tons of footage. So we had him sort of like going, Hey, we should do something. But also like last year was our 25th anniversary. And so we put on a really big show, uh, and like kind of a party for our Mm -hmm. 25th anniversary. And that was sort of like a, Hey, let's do a, you know, a documentary that sort of ties in with that show. And then COVID happened. But that was sort of the way it kind of started. Yeah, I got you. And then, uh, so you never know who's listening to these, who might tune in and check these out. If anybody wants to check into uh, the Blasting Room, that's my vehicle is beeping here. If anybody wants to check out the Blasting Room, you guys have a website. What's a good way yeah, to maybe reach out to you? Blastingroomstudios.com. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks again, man. Here, here we go. Cody's going to hit you with the first uh, closeout question here. What's cool. the best live show that you've ever, you know, attended or, or, or seen? Okay, this will sound totally lame, but I think it's Depeche Mode at Red Rocks. I, I went with my wife, and uh, since I know people, I, we got second row, and seeing a show at Red Rocks is amazing. And I used to listen to him in high school, and it's like one of her favorite bands, so... It was it was amazing. You like, broke they up put there for on a an second. amazing what show. What band was it? No, oh, it was Depeche Mode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I this isn't the best show I ever saw, but and I just hate admitting this, but one of I think I did tell you this, Jason, at one point. One of the cooler shows I've ever seen was uh God, I can't even believe I'm admitting this. Is I saw Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I saw Ed Sheeran. My yeah. uh my oh, yeah. my my in laws my father-in-law bought tickets for my wife and her sister and I think maybe both sisters, but he's like, we need a guy to go with them. And I was like, yeah, it's sure. And I suppose <laughs> I'll go watch them. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm like one of, you know, there's 12,000 people in this, in this venue. And I'm one of 12 other guys in the, in the venue at the time. <laughs> but, uh, at the end, man, I was well, like, "Such odds!" So think of the odds. This little British dude can sing, man. This is fun, and it was cool. So anyway, that's that's the. Yeah. the I got a second one, so I just question. thought of. Yeah. Jane's addiction. Jane's addiction back in 1991, like at Lollapalooza. That that was amazing. Yeah. That was crazy. Yep, yeah, that was a great show. We lost your mic there again. You said addiction. Ah, jeez. Jane's addiction. Jane's addiction. Oh, oh Jane. yeah, Jane's addiction would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Jane's addiction. Yeah, I still, that's a band I haven't really checked in on a while. And there's, maybe you're like me too. I always joke, I feel like music for me in my head is like a parking lot. And so I only have so much space. And it's like, so many spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'll hear like a new band and I kind of get into them and I listen to them. And then I'm like, five years go by and 
what used to be one of my favorite band I haven't listened to in five years. You know, like there's just yeah. only so much time to listen to stuff and there's a lot of great stuff out there. But uh, number two, what's your favorite Mexican dish? Oh, street tacos. Street tacos. What's in these street tacos? El Pastor? El Pastor. Oh, yeah. El Pastor is my favorite. With the is little, a specific like, place in Fort Collins? Uh, there's a place called La Buena Vida that in town that does them pretty good. Um, I did a record in Mexico City, and I spent like a month down there. And so we would go to the, like, the street vendors like every night after the studio and just fell in love with those things. Yeah. Street tacos are great because if you're like, oh, I'm kind of hungry, you know, you get like you two can, of them. Or if you're no, starving, you get like, of them. if you're, if yeah. you're <laughs> really hungry, yeah, you get 10 of yeah. them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. El Pastor with some fresh onions and cilantro in there is Some is pineapple. Yeah. It's awesome. All right. Do you have a dream car and what is it? Mm, dream car. Jeez, that's tough. Maybe like an RS7, an Audi RS7 is pretty appealing to me. I've got an A6 right now. Uh, I mean, a Tesla might be nice too, but that's not eh, you could. That's an attain, obtainable dream. Right? You yeah, know? that's yeah, yeah. Um, was there ever a backup career plan for the you know if the recording studio didn't work out when you moved out to Colorado? Were you like, I might have to do this, or what was your yeah? So let there, me. There was no, there was no backup in my mind, but my mother uh, would often call me. Because the first, like, I don't know, eight years, I was making 12000 bucks a year or something. She's like, come home. I'll yeah. pay for you to go to law school. You can be a lawyer. I'm like, uh-uh, not doing it. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't have you a did. backup. I, I just was going to make it work. Yeah, That is cool. Yeah, and then you, you are, right? That's probably good that you didn't have yeah. that. I know. It, it's It's a cliche thing to say and to go down that road, too. But, you know, it's like most people without backup plans are the ones that succeed right if you put that safety yes. net if you put that safety net there when you're, you're making, gonna fail yeah when you're making 12 grand for eight straight years you're like yeah maybe i'll just check out and see what that safety net has going on yeah yeah all right i feel like you've traveled a decent amount that's my assumption right now so what's I your have? favorite place that you've traveled uh sorrento italy was the best place i think i've been well that or um koh Samui in thailand one of those two places. I love the water because I was a swimmer. And both of those places are right on the ocean and just beautiful, beautiful backdrops. Awesome water that you could just, you know, either one of those places was the best. That's that's right. good. I've never really, to be honest, never really heard of either of those places. Sorrento and Kosamoa. Yeah, Kosamoa. So Kosamoa okay. in Thailand. And there's like these two islands right next to each other. So if you go to Bangkok and you take a bus like two hours south to sort of where like the water starts, there's kind of like a, I don't know if it's like a peninsula or what it is, but there's a couple islands there. There's probably more than a couple, but I went to one. It's like you don't even feel like you're on this planet. It's insane. My uh, girlfriend's brother lives in Thailand and we just see pictures all the time. It's crazy. It's amazing wherever they go. It, It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Italy... Italy, uh, the Sorrento is right next to Pompeii, but yeah. it's on the on the ocean. It's just, just amazing. Bam, that is cool. I like Italy too. We're we're just tra- talking the other day. The wife and I, we want to go back to Italy. We went to Venice. and yeah. just loved it. I mean, I I just really love Italy. It's food yeah, and it's wine, cool. and the the weather's decent, and the scenery is yep. beautiful. Um, 
so here we go another music question if you go back in time to see any band live what band would you see uh so this is going to sound really old, but I probably would have loved to see the Beatles. Yeah. Um, but, you know. <laughs> you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Yeah, it's a good I, one. Yeah. I do really like the Beatles. And, and Cody, I think I've told this story before, at, at, the, at the University of Iowa, they have a Beatles class, right? Oh, what, no shit. Yeah, what's this called, Cody? Do you remember what the name of the class is? I know we were talking it's, about it at one point. It's, I don't know what it's You know, called, you though. can get, it's like a three-credit class that you can take, and it's oh, wow. all about the history of the Beatles. and. And uh, I had a lot of friends that took the class, and and I got to the point where I was like, "Listen, I just want to quit talking listen. about the Beatles. I just want to <laughs> freaking listen to Abbey Road and not have to hear every single story right. about why this, you know." And like, and I'm a guy; right. I do really appreciate the, and you know, like the nuances and stories behind songs and all that stuff too. So, but that kind of like watered down my love for the Beatles. Cody, do you have a band that you'd want to see? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have an answer off the top of my head to be honest. I think I kind of feel I feel a little bit lame. No, I, <laughs> I think it would be. I don't really know if they would have been that great live. I don't know. Zeppelin is is just cool. To me. Oh, Zeppelin you know, would have like, been yeah. super bitchy. I mean, that cool. that's a either one of those would be mm. fantastic. Yeah. What I appreciate about it, Zeppelin Led's... probably would have been better because Zeppelin was a great live band. You know, where yeah. the Beatles didn't really pl- they they did the early stuff and mm. you know, and then I think the stuff that I like is the later stuff, and I don't even think they played that stuff live. You said this earlier, you know, like you can you can get behind a song if it's just a good song, right? Or you can yeah. you know not get behind it, right? But the thing and I like all types of music and I think that you can you can tell if a band or a singer songwriter or whoever it is like has passion. So I'm I like pretty much any genre as long as it's like the the It has to be the, believable and yeah, can, the it has to is, like you, know, you have to believe it. Like, I believe that guy. He, yeah. You know, like, he's telling me the truth. You yeah, know? exactly. He's and if not... they're not telling you the truth, you're like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Like, somebody wrote this song for this guy, and he's a pretty face. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. it's got to be believable. That's that's what connects with me. Yeah, for you sure. feel that it resonates. For yeah. Sure. And I think, too, what's cool about Zeppelin is, man, they have a lot of stuff that is, like, nowadays could almost be characterized as like almost borderline country music right like some of the like oh yeah twang like yeah a lot of r&b kind of stuff too like yeah yeah but uh i lost place where are we on our our blues but yeah Yeah. i got it uh name one useful tool to have during a zombie apocalypse Mm, screwdriver screwdriver yeah (laughs) you could just put it right in their eyeball bam flathead or fill up screwdriver (laughs) oh wow Jeez. No, that's funny. I I, uh, I was thinking about this, too. You know what might be one of the most useful things to have in a zombie apocalypse is, like, a nice kick-ass pair of work boots. Like, a pair of, like, boots. Because you're, probably, yeah, you're, Cause you're not taking in, them you're off. Your feet, yeah. You're kicking ass. That's true. Kicking ass. Very true. <laughs> All right, and last one. Jason, what was the first, first ever job you had? Uh, I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken when I was 15 years old. Kentucky Fried Chicken. So that yep. was, I mean, this this is, we've gone the whole show. I haven't made fun of you being older than me that much. So <laughs> did you know the colonel? Did you know? <laughs> no, 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 the colonel, uh, I you? don't know. He had to go hang out with his uh, his nephew that day. I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't know the colonel. No. I, always, I, always I always give 
Jason shit about being older than me if you guys haven't. That's got just because that he's jealous because I could squat more than he. Could. I know, I know. <laughs> he's a strong mother, but uh, <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Um, we could have talked for a long time. The music stuff is always intriguing to me. There's, I think. I think a lot of people think it's pretty cool, probably what you do. And it's probably, you've been doing it for 30 years. Maybe you don't always, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth to understand how cool it is too. But it sounds like you still do appreciate what you get to do for a living. Sounds like you, you still make time for fitness and you're, you're probably better at me than golf now too. So you can make fun of me. Yeah, yeah I'm getting better. My handicap's <laughs> yeah. a nine now. Yeah. You're definitely better than me. <laughs> definitely better than me. Well, cool, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for having me. And now, on with the show. Barry's going to light a fire, roast some marshmallows. I probably won't eat any marshmallows because I'm not into s'mores. I don't know if that's... Not into s'mores? No. No. I never have been. It's not my thing. What What don't you like about s'mores? Are we like the the work that it goes into making a s'more? Or the, the taste itself? Marshmallow? Are you not a marshmallow fan? I'm not really a graham cracker guy. Really? Is part what, of it. What about peanut butter and graham cracker? That was um, a staple for me growing up. Peanut butter and graham cracker? No, I've never done that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, and I just don't have enough of a sweet tooth to want to do the work either. Um, so then it's yeah, just kind of all like, sweet, I'm just yeah. like, I'd rather just watch the fire and whatever, and you can have your s'mores and whatnot, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm not a huge s'more fan, but if you know, s'more ingredients are rolling around, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna work myself into the partake. into the yeah into the rotation of of s'more. There are many times at our house we'll light a fire in the backyard just to make s'mores because my wife really likes toasted toasty marshmallows, and of course, so do the kid. Do you so use a fire holiday. pit or do you have just like what are you we using for that? Pit. Elevated yeah, or is pit. it? static like in place it's built out of stone so we have like yeah so there's like stone pavers so it's kind of in the ground Mm. i dig it out you know a few times a year because we burn a lot of crap in it we got a lot of a lot of yard like sticks and stuff that i throw in there and burn and cardboard from Mm -hmm. amazon packages and whatnot (laughs) dude like i can't keep up with cardboard anymore yeah like we have a our recycling can is bigger than our trash can right you know Mm -hmm. for pickup and it's it's full like i have to make special trips still to the recycle center yeah i mean that's partly because like we get gym stuff you know yeah i suppose yeah but just like with the amount of packages you know and it's probably true for a lot of people just from amazon and a lot of times like oversized boxes i'm like why would I, I bought vitamins and they're like in this huge box and like that's and there's so no, much free space. I'm like, I don't think this was useful, but yeah, just send me that the, the, well, maybe not cause I don't want to be tampering with my vitamins, but, <laughs> but the seal would be on. Yeah, I know. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I, I'm with you too. Oftentimes I feel like I don't need a giant box for whatever it is I'm, I'm sending myself. In fact, like a lot of times when I buy something on Amazon, I try to like not just buy one thing, mm-hmm. you know, like something will sit in my car for a couple of days until I, I'm like, Obviously, I'm going to think of something else that I, quote unquote, need, <laughs> and you know, so then I'll always make sure I try to order a few things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we were rambling about. We got on this topic. It's Cody's birthday when we're recording this, so everybody can send Cody some love if they didn't 
on his birthday because this will come out a few days after his birthday. <laughs> you know what? Happy That's I don't even want, I don't want to hear from you if you didn't tell me birthday on my happy birthday on my birthday. Don't even bother. Yeah, don't even bother. Don't waste your time. Yeah, don't waste your time. But you can wish him it's a too bad late birthday. Next year. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's fine. We'll just say hi. Don't even reference the birthday. Just be like, what's up? I'm like, all right, nothing. What's going on with what's you? Up? Yeah, that's it. All right. That's it. So you have stumbled upon our closeout, uh, excuse me, our cool down question portion of the show. This is where we are. Um Info at practicalwellnesscoach.com if you have a question for us and you want us to cover a topic. Uh, today, we have a topic that we're going to talk a little bit about. And it, um, somebody asked if, they could, uh, if we could just spend a little time talking about a few of the common myths in, in health and fitness. And, uh, and with that, uh, a couple of things came to mind. But, um, but first, uh, I'm going to swing it to you, Cody. What, uh, what's one thing that kind of comes to mind when we're talking about just common myths, things that you hear about? Um, when it comes to the health and fitness and whether that's industry or like specific when it comes to setting goals, what, what, what do you got? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking like the first one that comes to mind, and I don't know if I just, because I had a recent exposure to this. So one of the, so I, I teach a stress management class and we talk about exercise and how that can be a powerful tool, um, in that realm. And so it kind of devolves into like some goals and, and things like that and what they want. And I see, I see the word, or I have been seeing the word toning a lot recently. And that one sticks out to me. And when we first started talking about like, what are we going to do for a cool down and getting this question and so on and so forth, like that was the first thing I thought of. And you can't really tone a muscle, right? And, I, and I'll tell you this too. I don't mind the phrase necessarily, as long as we understand what we're saying. Because I feel like people confuse toning with... Uh, or maybe creating a separate lane for that, like at, in and of itself. Like, what do you think of when you think of toning? Yeah, that's a good that question. Word. I think when I think this is me, and it's it's maybe because I have a, a similar frustration with that word. Like when I yeah. think of toning is somebody, this would happen a lot. Um, in previous episodes, we talked about like, I would sit down and run fitness assessments. We talked about people's goals and I'll, like everybody was like, oh, I just want to, you know, get a little just bit more tone. tone. Bit. And yeah. And I think that that was maybe just, I don't know, this might be a judgmental thing too from, from my standpoint. I think people use that phrase when maybe they don't want to admit that they want to lose weight. I so would maybe, I, it's kind of a gentler word or a gentler yeah, phrase. Right. Than maybe Less I polarizing. Want to lose weight, yeah. 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 Um, and, I, you know, so for, so for me, whenever I hear that, I, I'm a little bit frustrated, not with anything other than the fact that it's just, I think, one of the stigmas in the fitness industry in general where people are throwing this word at them and then they regurgitate it. And it's, you know, we've probably seen some stupid infomercial and it's like, we're going to, you know, this weight loss yeah. program or this this device or this apparatus or this nutrition is going to target belly fat and target flabby arms. and Yeah, it's kind of like, like marketing, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, you and I know that that's not really possible mm. right we're not there we're, we're not able to target your your flabby arms or your love handles <laughs> with with right. anything right and that's that's a real common myth yeah and these like two things so like uh spot reduction in terms of fat and toning kind of intersect right to this idea of hey you know really what we have control over is increasing you know the size of our muscle right so hypertrophy 
and losing body fat. And that gets you to the, you know, air quotes, toned state that you want to be in, right? So you're putting on lean muscle tissue and decreasing fat tissue, right? Or fat, fatty deposits, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't dictate like where our bodies decide to no. oxidize fat. No, you could it's make that muscle yeah. bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously get leaner, right? Or decrease our body fat percentage. And that would then, you know, get you maybe to that state that you want to be in. But you can't, you know, um, like you mentioned arms earlier, you can't do a bunch of bicep curls and then expect that, you know, uh, that adipose tissue to just disappear, Mm -hmm. right now you're strengthening the muscle and the muscle can get bigger but just doing that by itself won't you know just make that fat disappear right yeah yeah we can't um like fat doesn't turn into muscle you know and that's i don't know if that's a separate topic or a similar topic like when people are talking about like we've kind of reached this tangent now of like spot reducing or spot toning like we kind of started with but you know, like you said, bicep curls or tricep press downs are not going to decrease the amount of fat like anybody has on the back of their arms, much like doing crunches is going to decrease any fat on anyone's stomach. Like they're great mm -hmm. exercises and they're great for burning calories and getting stronger and we're, we're increasing lean muscle and that's, these are all awesome things to be doing, but it is a solid misconception. That I think people are like, I'm going to do a bunch of sit-ups to get rid of my little pooch or whatever, you know, right, whatever it might right. be. Right. Like, and and, and it is a real, and I understand it. Like I do, right. I remember I thought the same thing actually for, for quite some time, but, mm -hmm. but you know, we just, I don't know for me, that's probably one of the biggest myths. Yeah. It's probably the one I see the most, you know, often for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it, I mean, we probably bang this drum a lot, but a lot of it comes to the genetics. People carry their weight in different areas. Right. And so mm -hmm. You know, it just is what it is. Like, um, well, yeah, as, well, as men usually as anyone, more, yeah, more um, adipose tissue through their, you know, trunk, like bellies, mm -hmm. right? And then women, I think, tend to, and there's always rules or exceptions to the rule, rather. You know, women tend to carry more weight around their hips, as another example, mm -hmm. right? So there's a little bit For of sure. a difference there. But yeah, genetics has a, has a large role to play in this, you know, and you can look at your own kind of family and, and kind of start to create that picture for yourself. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's some other, did you have any other kind of things that stuck out to you in terms of like yeah. fads or yeah. misconceptions? Um, we kind of were, you were just kind of comparing some, some male and female, like, you know, examples. And we talked about this again on a little bit on, on a previous podcast. I think, um, you know, lifting, is going to make me bulky or, or inflexible maybe even, right? Yeah. And those are probably even two separate common myths, but, but I think they somewhat play hand in hand. And, um, and especially with females, you know, you might have, you might have a woman and, and if that's her goal and she doesn't want to get bulky, that's fine. But I think that being fearful of, of resistance, resistance training is, is something that is definitely a myth. Yeah, I've ran into that myself with people. And I don't think this one is as common, at least in my bubble. Mm -hmm. um, but I've definitely run into it. And, and it's maybe a hard one to overcome because of, I mean, perceptions too. And we do have to, again, identify that uh, in the context, genetics certainly play a role. Like mm -hmm. there is going to be, you know, 
much like, um, and you and I experienced this and even you and I compared to each other, we have very different body types and we hold on to muscle differently, right? You know, I'm generally a smaller guy. I'm probably not going to be into or reach that bulky state that someone might identify with, you know, as being bulky. It's just going to be the nature of it, no matter what I do for the most part. But I mean, that plays a role in, you know, gender differences as well. Women typically don't have enough testosterone to maybe reach that bulky state that they might see like a outliers get mm-hmm. to, or B those outliers are also using uh, maybe some performance enhancing, enhancing drugs as well. Yeah. Right. That yeah. perpetuate that too. So like, that's the other thing we have to understand again, kind of, you know, most people um, aren't going to have, or most females aren't going to have enough testosterone to maybe achieve that, like really, really muscular look outside of really high level dedication, right? Casually going to the gym or, you know, and lifting weights or going to CrossFit class isn't probably going to reach you to that point. Yeah. And, you know, you, you touched on, I think kind of the three biggest things, right. And I think you kind of hit them all like genetics. Again, we, we hate to keep banging, banging that drum, but your genetics are going to play a large role Absolutely. in, in yeah, whether, you, whether you're going to, yeah, whether you're going to put on muscle, whether you're going to be naturally lean genetics are yeah. weird too, because genetics are an easy thing to kind of see, but but there's such a small role at times too, right? Like people are going to have genetically predisposed abilities to problem solve or, or learn or do math or whatever. Right. And yeah. those are harder to see. But when you, when, when you're talking about genetics, your mind often goes to that guy's tall or that guy is short or that guy mm-hmm. is strong or that guy, is, you know, like whatever it might be. And, and so genetics is one, um, gender you talked about. And but even I would say too, it's important too, that you can train like and still get better. Oh, for sure. Regardless yeah, of your genetics. We're just saying that some people might have a different ceiling or a different adaptability or rate of adaptation compared yeah. to someone else. Yeah, the rate of adaptation is a good way to put it, right? You know, where it might take you a little bit longer, but it still is probably, it still is a feasible goal. And mm-hmm. it's still, you know, if putting on muscle mass is something that you're interested, it's, you know, I think we've kind of talked so far about people's inabilities to kind of put on bulk mm-hmm. because that's kind of what the myth that we, we started with. But, mm-hmm. But it might go the other way too, you know, people, right. you know, both ways, whether I want to add mass or decrease mass. Yeah. And, or even just yeah. our, our shape of our body or another example would be like my hands only this big. Yeah. I'd be surprised if my hand gets bigger, right? Yeah. As yeah, I yeah. ate, I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, genetics is, is kind of, you know, when we're talking about the physical genetics, it's mostly kind of manifested in like muscle types, right? People with a fast twitch muscle fiber are yeah, more likely type to be one, type two to, fibers. Sure. Yeah. More likely to, and, and more likely to acquire larger muscles more easily. Right. And, and you know, you talked about the type two, like slow twitch muscle fibers. That, yeah. We usually those, are predisposed with more of one than the other. Mm-hmm. But then the genetic thing that you know, those people, those individuals might have on, on their side, on their, their pro list might be their ability to train volume, right. And their ability to, you know, work harder, work longer and be more effective. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on, I mean, I think there's a reason why all track sprinters look very similar and very jacked out of their mind, right? Like, yeah, like sprinters are fast twitch muscle fibers and they put on muscle distance. Yeah. Yeah. They're very explosive. And especially at higher levels, you, um, what's the word I'm looking like people get weeded out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So when you look at a high level athlete, like whether it's a professional athlete, like it's a football player or like track athletes at a high level, Olympic levels, you know, they're definitely 
you know, we're not disregarding any hard work here, mm -hmm. right? Because you have to have that as well. You can't just be lazy and, and get to the Olympics. Um, but, you know, we can, you and I can work as hard, I, but I'm not, I just don't have that, you know, genetic yeah, makeup, yeah. right? And I don't I think, have yeah. that predisposition. Yeah. And one of the quick points I was going to make too is, you know, you watch the, let's say you watch the hundred meter sprint at the Olympics. They all sure. look like bodybuilders. They all yeah. look like bodybuilders. They have boulders for shoulders, but you know what? I'd be willing to bet none of them train as bodybuilders. None of them. Right. <laughs> like they might do some like prehab, some certain like sure. bodybuild, like classic movements, some strength training, but I bet they're not doing like consistent, like bro splits in the gym where like today, right. I'm gonna, today, today I'm going to do buys and tries. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. not it, what their sport be unlikely. is. And that's not, yeah. It'd be unlikely. But, I'm sure they do something, you know, I'm sure they lift weights. Yeah, um, no. And I'm not saying they don't strength training. I'm just saying that they yeah. probably don't do specific like bro splits. Like we're accustomed to yeah. like bodybuilding. Yeah. But, but the correlation then again with the genetics is my point was they are all proven to be fast twitch muscle fiber athletes and fast twitch mus muscle fiber athletes are going to put on muscle easier. So they don't yeah. have to do the bro splits that they look like a bodybuilder, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. If you did like easily. a muscle biopsy, you'd probably see between like the groupings of, you know, versus a hundred meter sprinter versus like a marathon runner, you're going to see a lot of different, um, fiber type makeup, you know, within that as well. And I've seen some, a few things I can't, I'm not an authority on this by any means, but I've seen a few things where your muscle fiber type can change, but I think it's pretty rare and don't quote me on that, but it'd be something I'll have to look into a different time. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there you have it. There are two common myths that just right off the top of our heads that are, I think, and a bit ridiculous and, and we don't want to make them sound ridiculous and hurt anybody's feelings in a way too, because to be honest with you, I probably was right there with you. And at one point I thought the same thing. So we have, you know, the first one we talked about, like target fat loss, love handles, flabby arms, whatever they mm -hmm. are, or maybe even the, the term being toned, getting toned, like just kind of dive a little bit deeper. If you're trying to establish a goal, yeah. you know, or I want to take wanna... ownership. If you're trying, if you're working around maybe the true intent, like take ownership of that a little bit more. For sure. Yep. Yep. Instead of getting toned, it's like, I'd like to be leaner. And, yeah. I'd like to and, lose 10 and, pounds. I'd like yeah, to be a little leaner stronger, might, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then the second one we talked about too was, you know, lifting, making you bulky or inflexible. And we didn't really touch. We didn't touch on it, on but it's also would be, yeah. It's we'll right be, there hand in hand. We're getting a little the, long, so maybe we'll put a pin on that one. Yeah. The one quick point I would say, if you're prioritizing quality movement, right? Sure. Full range of movement to your extent you're not going to get more inflexible. In fact, one of the best things I think for my flexibility has sure. been adding resistance training at full range of motions. And yeah. I have moved as better than I maybe ever have. Quality so, movement under load. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there you have it. Thanks for the question. If you guys have any more questions, like I said, you can send it to info at practicalwellnesscoach.com. Thanks again to Jason for coming on the podcast and we'll catch you next time. Hey.